Hey friends, Andy Jenkins, I'm back at the Hilltop again and want to continue the conversation that I began, I think it was two episodes ago. We began talking about identity. All of this information comes from the new LifeLift project. And I would invite you right now just to go down to the links in the show notes below. The first thing that you could do would go to the link, whether you're on an Apple or an Android device, either one, download the app absolutely free. And unless you're already, of course, listening to this on the app, the new LifeLift app, that is going to have all of the assessments all of the tests, all of the questionnaires that are going to really help you hone in and define the purpose for which you were created. That's really one of the goals of that entire project is to help you find and fulfill the purpose for which you were designed. There's also other great information on the app, which is completely free. Uh, the podcast is there. Two of my audiobooks books uh, currently, there'll be more there eventually. Two of the audiobooks are there. There There's several video courses, totally free. There is some paid content on that app. Uh, At this point, what I'm trying to direct you to is the free stuff that's there. Take advantage of all of that because that's really gonna be one of the best ways to get started with this. And as this project, just kind of soft rolling it right now, as we begin doing the live courses and as we get the videos taped and all shared, All of that is going right there inside the app so that you can learn and listen on the go. Take it with you. Uh, That enables you, because of that app, to put it on a smart television. It enables you to watch and learn. Uh, If you are driving somewhere, if you are uh, with or without Wi-Fi access, you know, sometimes you don't have that. You're on an airplane, you know, you're kind of somewhere where it's spotty or you just don't want to take all your Wi-Fi connection there. You can just uh, have that on the hard version there in the app. All right, that's kind of the sales pitch. Go download the app, absolutely free. I also put some links down there uh, for the books that are coming out right now. Those are available. Uh, Just finished the workbook two weeks ago and the slides and we are now getting ready very soon. Hopefully I will announce a time where I'm going to teach this information. And if you are local, I would love to have you come join me. Okay, that's the sales pitch. Let's continue. Uh, In the previous episode, I talked about how Jesus came to show you who the Father is, but also who you are, and how our identity is really wrapped up in Him. Now, that goes far more encompassing than you might have thought Uh, It's far-reaching. It, in fact, doesn't just affect now, in the present. We've got to go way back to the past to collect up on all of this. Here's kind of a driving verse. Ephesians 1.13 says this, You were included in Christ. Catch that phrase. You were included when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So Paul is telling us somehow, you are connected. I remember growing up, uh, you know, the debate is, I don't think in athletic stuff, a lot of times I would be the first to be chosen. Depending on the sport, I was never the last to be selected. Uh, I mean, unless I was the new guy somewhere and nobody really knew. And then, you know, once you're selected last, it feels devastating. Um, I could generally play the sport, so I, I wouldn't be chosen last ever again. But but I remember occasionally, uh, I, w- I wish I would have stuck up for these people more 
there would inevitably be the kids that were chosen last, or we'd have odd men. I mean, you know, we're playing basketball. It's five on five. You know, you got 13 people. Sorry, you three can't play. Or you got to sub in. Well, nobody's going to sub out on the playground. Now, people always wanted to be included. Or birthday parties. You know, you can invite a certain amount of people. That means some people don't get included. Uh, prom season comes up in high school. Everybody's kind of pairing off, even if they're going as friends. I went to my senior prom with a friend, right? with a group of friends, actually. But I had a date that happened to be just a really good friend. I remember in that time, people's like, do you have a date? Do you have somebody to go with? You know, to asking other people. And there were people that weren't included. Everybody wants to be included. Paul reminds you fundamentally, foundationally, at the eternal level right here, you were included, and he pins that and says somehow when you heard the message of truth, somehow you were included in in Christ. And Now, that included in Christ doesn't just mean like, okay, you're on Jesus' team. He's going to give us a larger supernatural spiritual reality that you have been, let me use this phrase, sucked into, and everything that Jesus did has now somehow encompassed you okay and here's the first place that you see it uh, on Sundays at church baptism so last week last Sunday our uh, we loaded up uh, you know everybody that was home I mean we took Goodness, you know, Beth and I have 10 kids. And so when everybody's here, and every, everybody was not here, there are, you know, some people that live away from home. Uh, one of them that lives away was actually here. So we, we, we took a truckload of people to church, uh, all the kids that were here. And I remember they were doing baptism that Sunday morning after the service. And one of the pastors stood up and he says, oh yeah, we're celebrating baptism. People go under the water. We're celebrating the washing away of your sins. He said, it's just it's just tap water right right here from, you know, down the street. We're celebrating the washing away of your sins. And I'm thinking, all right, we, we've got a great, this guy's incredible. He's a phenomenal pastor. I'm thinking, and it, he didn't have like about 30 seconds to say this. So it's not like he could have told you everything that I'm telling you now. So this was not a slam on him at all. This is just me saying, okay, there's far more going on in that picture than just, and I don't mean just simplistically, as if that's not a great message in and of itself, right? That, like that would be a great message. If the only thing that happened with salvation transaction, for lack of a better term, was your sins were eliminated. That would be a great, incredible message. However, there's more. Here's what was not said that morning. So you've seen baptism by the word baptizo in the Greek language. It means to submerge. So I, yeah, I don't get bent out of shape when people do sprinkling and all that, but the word really means like to take completely under the water. Here's why I believe it's important. Again, no slam on anybody if they do it a different way. Here's why I would advocate this way is because when we take the person and we put them under the water, we are symbolizing that the old person has died. They are going under the water. 
we're symbolizing we are burying that person and we are symbolizing when we bring them up out of the water that a new person is coming alive. Where do we get that imagery? We get that from the scripture because in the past, Christ died, he was buried, and then he got up out of the grave that first resurrection Sunday. We celebrate it now as Easter. So we're celebrating in the present that something bigger happening with you. We're also celebrating in the future that the dead in Christ, according to 1 Thessalonians 4.16, the dead in Christ will rise in the future. So who is that? Like, that's my grandmother. My grandmother that was stout in her faith. My granddaddy. Uh, that's some of my uh, aunts. Um, you know, that's people who are generations ahead of us. That's people that we don't even know that are people in the circle of faith. That's people that I grew up with that had this incredible experience at church from, yeah, I just remember the church that I grew up in, you know, from fifth grade. That's just kind of a marker when we moved to town, you know, on through college. I just remember that being a really, not not perfect at all, but a really sweet experience with some amazing people uh, spanning all different generations, many who have have died now. It means in the future, those people, when Christ returns, those dead in Christ, they will get up out of their graves. And when we baptize somebody in the present, we are identifying that in the past, Jesus died. He was buried, got up out of his grave. In the present, something bigger is happening with the person who is being baptized that they, old self, buried, new self alive, we're also celebrating that in the future, death that we've seen is not the final word. The people who've gone before us, who've died in Christ, and that may very well be us one day, right? We'll get up out of those graves, and there will be this incredible reunion. Scripture says, in the sky. So we'll see exactly how that pans out. In other words, baptism is this picture of this inclusion in Christ. Let me let me show you from the scripture because here, here's what the scripture argues is that you were present, you were there. It's not just a movie, like a video to say, oh yeah, that happened or this will happen. It actually teaches in scripture that you were present at each event of Christ's life, meaning that you are included, there's our word, included at every defining moment along the way. So I want to give you, I think I'm going to give you five, and I'm going to hint at a sixth point. So those of you who are note takers, uh, those of you who just like not to take notes, but mentally just wrap in your head, where are we going? Here's where we're going. Five things that you were included in, and a sixth that's yet to come that we'll kind of allude to. Number one, you were crucified with Christ. I'm going to read you the verses for all of these. Galatians 2.20, Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. Notice, past tense. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, so he's saying in, in the flesh is his body. Okay, footnote right there. A lot of people that you'll talk to, they say, well, flesh is bad. Because in the scripture, you'll say, like in Romans 6, it talks about the flesh. Flesh is always a neutral term. Flesh is the body. Flesh is, it's it's what you do in your strength. 
So sometimes the things we think in our own mind would be considered flesh. Flesh is neutral. Flesh doesn't necessarily mean evil. Now, flesh can be evil. Flesh can be sinful. Flesh is neutral. It's like fire. Fire is neutral. Fire can be good because you can cook things with fire. You can warm people up with fire. Fire can also be destructive when it sets ablaze on a forest or burns down a house. Sex is neutral. It was a gift by God. can be glorious. can also be destructive. Money is not evil. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Money can actually be good. A tool can also be very tainted. Okay, so flesh, our own strength. Paul's saying, the life I now live in the flesh, the life I now live in this body, the life I now live like right here in person, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved himself, who loved me, and gave himself for me. Let me read that last part of the phrase again. The life I now live in the flesh, in my body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, and he gave himself for me. Another verse that says the same thing, Romans 6, 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So what is Paul telling us in all of this? When Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago, Jesus didn't just die with a thief on the right and a thief on the left, one which taunted him and one which repented and was with him in paradise that day, Jesus died on the cross with me and with you. We were crucified with him. And and what does that mean? That means that when we were crucified, we, point number two, died with him. Colossians 3.3 says this, You died, your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You were so intertwined with him 2,000 years ago, so so included that when he died, you died. Another verse, Romans 6, 5, if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So you start seeing how all of this is going to start fitting together. And maybe you start seeing, okay, now I get it, like why Peter was shifty before the cross and resurrection, why he's not shifty after because he's living out two different realities, okay? Literally, the timeline of history, what I'm saying doesn't split for me and you, doesn't split A.D. and B.C., doesn't split at the birth of Jesus. That's kind of the crux point that we've mentally wrapped it around in our heads is that everything kind of led up to the birth of Jesus. Everything kind of points back to the birth of Jesus. Here's what I'm saying. Everything really leads up to the death of Jesus, everything points back to the resurrection of Jesus. Okay, That hinge event right there at the cross is the defining moment of history. That's the place where you want to put your timeline. That's the place that leads you from law to grace. That's the place that leads you from legalistic to freedom. That's the place that leads you from the old identity that was shaking, that was shifting sand, that was unreliable, undependable, fragile, as we discussed in the previous episode. I'll put a link to it down in the show notes. That is the hinge point that then leads you now to rock, dependable, solid, true identity. Here's point number three. We'll start fleshing out what it all means 
in a moment is you were buried with Christ. You were buried with Christ. And in Romans 6, 4, uh, it says this, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. By, let's use our word, submersion, immersion into death. You, you were wrapped up in that tomb 2,000 years ago. Now, here's what one man, Watchman Nee, brother in the faith who's died, dead in Christ, so that means he'll be joining us up, you know, dead in Christ rise at some point in the future. He has this book, The Spiritual Man, that I read. Uh, it, it's actually a very great read. It's it's a little bit deep. You you kind of you, you have to read it slow. It's not going to be a fast read, but has just layer after layer after layer of truth in it. He writes about this, talking about the crucifixion, talking about this whole event. Okay, and so he's pointing back to this Romans verse that says we're united with him in death. Okay, which means then we're buried. He says the original is in the aorist tense. That's in the Greek language. Um, now you don't need to know what the aorist tense is. Um, here's what you do need to know about it. That tense, den- quoting again, denoting that our old man, so the old you, the sinful you, the pre-resurrection you, the uh, shifting sand version of Simon, right? Not Peter. Our old man was once and forever crucified with him. Here's his conclusion. As the cross of Christ is a fact accomplished, so our being crucified with him is additionally an accomplished fact. Whoever questions the reality of the crucifixion of Christ, this question that he asks in the book, why then should we doubt the reality of the crucifixion of my old man. Here's, here's what he's getting at. This scripture, all of these, say definitively that this stuff all happened to Jesus. It also says emphatically that it all happened to you. Now, nobody doubts that Jesus was killed 2,000 years ago. I don't honestly know many people that aren't churchgoers that deny that. They might not live like it. They might not necessarily agree with the morality of it. They might not necessarily like what the church does, the message it stands for. But nobody really doubts it. And really, we're not even talking about them. We're talking about me and you and what we actually believe. We don't doubt Jesus died and was buried. Here's the question then. Why? Should we doubt the reality of the crucifixion of my old man? You say, well, why does that matter? It matters because the old you is that pre-resurrection version of you. That is the version that lives in the old identity, like the old Peter that we talked about in the previous lesson. That is the old identity that is waffly, that is shifty. That is the old identity that strains for things, that feels like you got to hustle to get it. That's the old identity that is not sure what you're called to do. That's the old you, not the new you that is fully alive and fully empowered. And here's the observation. If you don't doubt the one, you don't doubt what happened to Jesus, you shouldn't doubt the reality of what happened to you. Why? Because you were there you were included in it 
when it happened to Jesus. Supernaturally, somehow, you superseded 2,000 years before you were born and were there for all of it. And that leads us to this. Point number four, you arose from the grave with Christ. Okay, so you were crucified, number one. You died, number two. Number three, you're buried. Number four, you arose from the grave. Here it is in the Bible, Romans 6, 4, part B, second half of the verse. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Uh, here's another verse, Ephesians 2, 5. Even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. So you didn't make yourself alive. Grace saved you, resurrected you. Uh, Romans 6, 8 and 611. Now, if we died with Christ, that was point number three, we believe that we will also live with him. So also, you must consider yourselves dead to sin and now alive to God in Christ Jesus. One more verse, Romans 4, 25. Christ was delivered up for our trespasses, uh, for our sins is what trespasses are. He was raised for our justification. Now, this is really interesting. Let's stack a couple ideas together here. We died because of sin. That's the wrongs that we committed. Okay, everybody knows Romans 3.23, the wages of sin is death. What you get paid for sinning is death. So notice that. you Sin, it's a thing you do. You know, what you earn for it is death. Salvation is grace. It is a gift. And so often we kind of flip those around and we just kind of think the default state is sin, but grace is then something we earn. No, 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 no. The things you do resulted in sin. Grace is grace is the gift. You died because of sin, the wrongs you committed. We were raised for justification. Uh, now, justification, growing up in the church, a lot of people would use this phrase. I think it, it's pretty good. Justification justified is just as if I'd never sinned. It is this reconnection of relational oneness with God. Here's what's interesting. Justification, that word, it doesn't excuse sin. Like in our culture, people usually justify their sin. They excuse it. Oh, I did this because they did that. Why did you do this? Why well, did it? Because, you know, fill in the blank, X, Y, Z, L-M-N-O-P, Q-R, whatever. And people say, you've heard the phrase, they were just justifying it. That wasn't a legitimate apology. They were just justifying everything. No, they haven't moved on. They're just justifying why they did it. Scripture doesn't justify the sin and give an excuse for why you did the sin. Scripture says it doesn't matter why you did it. It happened. It occurred. It is a reality. And then the scriptural version of justification says it happened. Let's make it as if it didn't happen. Let's make it just as if it hadn't happened. Justification doesn't excuse it. Justification acknowledges it and says, okay, there's something bigger, there's something better regardless of that. You don't have to excuse the sin. In fact, the very idea of grace is that you can't and you don't excuse sin. You 
Do you say I did it? I don't have to excuse it. I did it. It was wrong in the story. I did it. It was wrong. Okay, now let's make it just as if it never happened. Back in relational connection with your Heavenly Father, back in relational connection with the people that are around you. And that's a great sub-point right there. God doesn't just reconnect us to himself. He reconnects us to each other. So Christ was delivered up for our trespasses, for our sins, not his. He was raised for our justification. And when he was raised, we were included in all of that. Here's point number five. Let me go through them all again. Number one, crucified with Christ. That means number two, you died. You didn't come off the cross alive. You died on the cross with Christ. Number three, buried with Christ. Number four, raised with Christ. Number five, ascended with Christ. You say, well, what is the ascension? The ascension is this. After Jesus arose from the dead, he appeared with the disciples for a period of 40 days, and then he was taken up, and according to Acts 1, he was taken up into heaven right in front of them. He like physically, geographically moved from here up into the heavens. There were angels that met him right there, went up into heaven, and then angels appeared to the disciples and said, why are you guys still standing here? And then, just kind of following a timeline, he appears to the disciples for 40 days and other people. Uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, he appeared to over 500 people at one shot together. So there's no telling how many people saw him alive post-resurrection, ascended up into heaven. And I would say that wasn't just a geographical move from here to there. There's something qualitatively different about being on earth than being in heaven. It's a geographical move, yes, but it's a move into a different higher dimension. It's not just like going from the earth to the moon or from the U.S. to England, from the U.S. to the USSR. Well, that doesn't even exist anymore. It's, it's completely different. It's not just geography. It's geography and dimension. It's more. And Scripture teaches that you've already been included, even though you're physically here, your spirit has already been included in that more. Here's the verse, Ephesians 1.20 and Ephesians 2.6. It says, The Father worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and he seated him, seated Jesus at his right hand in the heavenly places. And then it says this, and he raised us up with him and he seated us in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So Jesus was raised from the dead, ascended up to seat at the right hand of the Father in heavenly places. Now you are raised up with him, seated with him in the heavenly places. This is total inclusion. Okay? Crucified with Jesus, died, buried, arose ascended. Scripture says, number six, that you will be seen with him in glory when he returns. So Colossians 3, 4 actually tells us when Christ, who is your life, appears. That's the quote. Then you also will appear with him in glory. What does that mean? I don't know. There's there's nobody that's done it yet. Uh, and again, uh, I would say when Jesus uh, ascended from earth to heaven, it wasn't just a geographical move. It was something that was a whole different dimension. 
uh, we see a snapshot of what this might mean. Uh, in Mark chapter 9, we see the transfiguration where Jesus uh, appears. He's kind of transfigured is the scriptural word that's used right there. And Moses and Elijah are there. And Peter, James, and John see it. And they recognize who these men are, even though they had never seen them before. Somehow they know them through the eyes of the Spirit that this is Moses and Elijah, or maybe they spoke with Jesus. So we had the law and the prophets there with Jesus, which was the embodiment of grace and truth. Somehow they're physically there, but yet nobody else saw it. They appear and then they're gone. Who knows? My point is there's just more that you're already included into, and we barely even scratch the surface of the stuff we do know about. Here's, here's what it all means is that right now we should be living according to the Spirit and the things that God says are true of us rather than just the flesh, the things that we physically know to be true. And again, remember that term flesh, it's not a negative term. It is a neutral term. But when we lean into just what we can perceive in the natural, what we can perceive with our body, what we can perceive with our mind, it's very limited. And and yeah, sure, it can be sinful. It's limited farther down than what we're actually called and been included into. Let me give you a couple points about that. Here's the first. Your spirit, when you arose, resurrected 2,000 years ago, that first Easter morning, your spirit, it was dead. It was reborn and raised with what Scripture terms as perfect seed. First um, Peter 1.23 says that you've been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible By the Word of God. What's the Word of God? The Word of God is Jesus. He's the living Word of God and Scripture, the written Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever and ever, is what Peter says. Okay, being born again, here's the quote again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Primarily, I think he's talking about the living Word right there, Jesus. Jesus reveals himself now through his Spirit, speaking with you, the Holy Spirit, and through the written word, and those things always match. They're always in connection and concert together. Here's what it means if you have an incorruptible seed is number two, you partake in Christ's divine nature. So the old self, the old, let's just use kind of the terminology from the previous episode, the old pre-resurrection version of Simon, of you, is gone. Now there is the post-resurrection, permanent, eternal, solid, stable rock that is born in the divine nature. Okay, the incorruptible is here. The corruptible is gone. Here's the verse, 2 Peter 1, 4. Because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. So it it empowers you because reborn of perfect seed, because the perfect seed has the divine nature. It enables you to move from that shifting sand into 
the stable rock. How did all that happen? Because you were included in everything that Christ was done. Every major event, crucified with him, died, buried, resurrected. So you rose. It's completely new. Didn't just arise as a, oh, well, I was dead. Now I'm an alive version of myself. You arose is something radically different. And that means that finally we should see each other in light of how Jesus sees us. Not in light of how we view ourselves. So often we just judge ourselves based on what we can physically see. And scripture drives us to say, hey, whoa, 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 let's don't do that. Second um, Colossians 5.16, Paul says, wait, from now on, let's don't regard anyone, no one according to the flesh. We once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We don't do that any longer. So let's don't do that with each other. Um, if, if you remember, they totally, in Jesus' day and age, judged him according to what they could see through their eyes, natural eyes, not eyes of faith, but through their natural eyes. This led people to think that he was a prophet that was come back to life, uh, like Moses or Elijah, according to Matthew 16, 14. It led other people to think that he was either a ghost or a reincarnation of a religious leader that was revered and then murdered, like John the Baptist. Um, religious leaders, they presumed, according to Mark three twenty two, that he was demon-possessed and that he cast out demons by the power of Satan himself. Other people, Jewish leaders, they thought that he was a Samaritan. That would mean he was half Jewish and he was half Assyrian, meaning that he didn't have the credentials to lead a religious movement, according according to the Old Testament. You can find that in John 8, 48. Um, some people argued that Jesus was, here's the phrase, they'd say kind of an illegitimate child of a nameless father. Okay, and, I, and I know, and you know there's no illegitimate children. I'm just saying this is kind of what they would say, according to John 8, 41. That was one of the best guesses. Uh, others, family members, thought, again, Mark 3, 22, that he had lost his mind and that if he was in our culture, they would take him to a psychiatric hospital. That's what happened according to judging Jesus by external appearances. Isaiah 53. Isaiah says that even at the cross, people assume that Jesus was being punished because of something wrong he did. And that's why Isaiah goes on to write, Isaiah 53, 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace with the stripes we're healed. Okay? Wounded for our transgressions, not his. Crushed for our iniquities, not his own. That's a very different perspective. Maybe let's land it all with this. Uh, the great reformer, Martin Luther, he was the man that was in the Catholic Church trying to reform the Catholic Church back in the early 1500s and nailed the 95 theses, 95 things that he thought were wrong with the Catholic Church. He nailed it on the door at the Castle Church in Wittenberg. And this was his statement of the things that the church needed to correct. Uh, he was not trying at that point to launch a reformation or break away from the Catholic Church. He was a churchman. He wanted to fix it. He wanted people to follow Christ through, through the church. And eventually it became so clear that that would not happen, that he would 
have to go in a different direction. Martin Luther writes about what he calls the glorious exchange. Okay, the glorious exchange, it has everything to do with this radical inclusion in what is Christ because it means that Jesus traded everything that was ours for everything that is his. He took all of our junk, in effect, gave us all of his, just so we can alliterate it, jewelry. Took all of our clutter, gave us a crown, and that glorious exchange is really what transforms everything. Here's what it means. This will tie everything that we've just talked about together. And of course, if it doesn't, the beauty of the podcast is you can just rewind and re-listen or look at the outline down below in the show notes. At the cross, Jesus gave us his death, sacrificing his blood for ours. The wages of sin is death. I didn't die for my sin. You didn't die for your sin. Jesus died for my sin. Jesus died for your sin. Jesus didn't die for his sin. He died for our sin. At the cross, he gave us his death. Scripture includes us in that. Three days later, we weren't just crucified with Christ, died with Christ. That was points number one and two. Three days later, he gives us his life as well. The resurrected life. This is a new life that is radically different than the old life. In fact, in the next talk, you're going to see that the resurrected life is so radically different than the pre-resurrection life that it's not even recognizable. It is that different. It is as radically different as a caterpillar is from a butterfly. There is no indication in the butterfly that it ever was a caterpillar. There's no indication in a caterpillar that it could ever possibly become a butterfly. The resurrection life that Jesus gives us, his life is that different from our old life as well. Okay, so at the cross, to repeat, he gives us his death, sacrificing his blood for ours. Three days later, he gives us his life. That's the resurrected life. Here's the amazing part. He also offers us full credit for all of the obedience he lived before facing the cross. Thereby, he takes our life of sin on himself and he exchanges credit to us for the life that he lived of obedience. That's what you now carry. Do you see? He gave you his death. He took that off of you. He gives you the resurrection. That's the life that we're called in to live. He also gives you credit. You go, well, my past is like so horrible. Not anymore. Jesus has a perfect past. He takes away your past, gives you his past. You resurrect anew, incorruptible, partaker in the divine nature, to now live empowered, unencumbered to the life that he has called you created you, foreordained you to live. That's snapshot what it means to be, here's our word again, included in Christ. Show notes all down below. You can follow the outline right there, put it together for you, just kind of the highlights where you can kind of listen and kind of bump through the main points. Take advantage of the app, download absolutely, totally free. Let's pray 
close it. I'll be back next time. We'll talk about what this resurrected life actually means. At least we'll take a shot. My prayer is that the Lord would bless you. He would keep you. He would be gracious. He would shine his face of intense favor upon you. Right now, would you sense the amazing inclusion that you have that 2,000 years ago you were on the cross crucified, that you died? May you sense that you rose, rose with the new resurrection life, completely indistinguishable from the old life that you had. That when you arose, there was a glorious exchange that occurred, that he took away your past, gave you his perfect past. And now may you walk in the freedom of the life that he's ordained for you. Grace and peace. I'll see you soon.